0: Thank you, Tony and Worship team, for, for leading us in worship today. Uh, really appreciate the work you guys do. Hey, I'm Bill Garner. I'm one of the elders here at Harvest Church, and I had the privilege this morning of introducing to you Antonio Jones, one of our resident pastors. Uh, Antonio has intentions to plant a church in South Memphis South, uh, South, wind. South wind, South Memphis, South.: wind, South, <laughs> South, South. South Wind. Uh, over the next couple of years, and we plan to partner with him in this endeavor. Uh, you might have seen Antonio before; he plays bass here in the worship team sometimes. And his wife Tasha, who's right over there, with the three kids. I'm gonna try to get this right: Miles, Elise, and Nolan. That's it. And his mother Maxine, who also is one of our members here at Harvest. He, uh, Tasha sings up here in the worship team as well. Very musically talented family. Uh, Ken has known uh, Antonio for about 12 years, 12 and a half years. Antonio was one of the first guys who went through the Downline Institute uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, I can still remember the first time Antonio came into our office and talked about wanting to plant a church. And the thing that struck me about Antonio was his, uh, there's a lot of humility there. A lot of humility, uh, servant's heart, and just over the last uh, uh, few months as we've grown in our friendship, I've noticed that Antonio really has a desire to grow and to learn. So uh, we're, we're glad that he's with us this morning. Uh, we're rounding third and headed home on our series in First John. Kenan and Steve will be back over the next couple of weeks to, to finish it up and take us home. But uh, what a great privilege this morning to, to hear from Antonio. Let's pray for him. Father, we're thankful for Antonio. Uh, we're thankful for bringing him to Harvest Church. I pray, God, that even right now that you would just empower him, uh, that as we open up the word, that our hearts uh, would be still, that each of us would relinquish pride, rebellion in our own lives, and that this morning that we might just look into your word, see what it has to say to each one of us, yield and surrender to it, obey it and implement it in our lives. Thank you for this time that we have uh, we pray, God, that your spirit would be here and lead us in a time of continued worship in the Word of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Bill. Um, again, I'm Antonio Jones, and I'm um, so privileged to be here. Uh, my family and I, I think, have been here a little over nine months. And I just want to personally thank you guys. Y'all made it so easy uh, for us to be a part of this great family here at Harvest And yeah, I've known Kenan, um, I think it's been a little over 12 years. Uh, I remember when he came to me about Downline, we kind of wrestled through it because I wasn't really sure I wanted to get up at 5.45 a.m. three days out of the week. I said, Kenan, I don't know one black man who gets up that early unless he's going to work. (laughs) Hey, man, it's work time. Uh, But I tell you this, I tell you this, it really tremendously changed my life, made me a better man, husband, and pastor. And so I'm very thankful for my relationship with Kenan. But I also honor my wife and want to recognize Tasha, uh, who Bill was talking about. She's uh, just as smart as she is, beautiful. And uh, she's given me three wonderful children. Miles is nine, going on 10, and heading to the fifth grade. Uh, Elise is five. She'll be heading to kindergarten this year. And Nolan is four. He's going second year in the preschool. Uh, that's my crew. I got three. But the Lord showed me five kids. So something is wrong with this math, I've been trying to minister to my wife that the Word says to be fruitful and multiply. So at some point today, ladies, y'all need to go and minister to my wife and tell her we got some more work to do to fulfill the kingdom of God. (laughs) Glory to God. Thank you. (laughs) Excited about expanding God's kingdom. Uh, I tell you, though, this has been an incredibly… great series in First John, I've been feasting off of this, and all the men who came before me to teach have been doing an incredible job. It's assurance, knowing that you know. And someone once told me, you make the best decisions when you have more information to work with. And, and John has just been pouring into us with this series. You learn in John three important things, that God is light, that God is love, and that God is life. And in my section, we're still dealing with the love part, and so I hope that we could just journey together in the Word and that we leave here full and impact about what God wants to say with us. If you don't mind standing for the reading of God's Word, I'm going to open us up at 1 John chapter 4. I'll be beginning, picking up, at verse number 7, we'll read through and end at verse 21, so we got a little work to do, so if I stumble, pray for me. I'll be reading out of the... ESV version. Here we go. Verse number seven, 1 John chapter four. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. For he who does not love his brother whom he had seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's the word of God for the people of God. And the people of God say, praise be to God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you so much. Uh, We can do nothing without you. In fact, God, we are nothing without you. So we are honored today that you allow purpose to still be on our lives because this is a day that we have never historically seen before in our lives. God, help us to maximize this moment in your word as we sit as students or children at your feet to hear what you have to say. It's not about me. So, dear God, please don't just have me behind the cross, but put me in the shadow of the cross. That no one sees me. But at the end of this, God, they would have seen all that you want them to see and hear what you want them to hear in Christ's name. Amen. And Jamie did an incredible job last week. Jamie Trestle, I knew uh, one of the new pastors here, uh, he did an incredible job. And one of the things uh, that stuck out to me as he was expounding upon verses 1 through 6 of 1 John chapter 4, he concluded that we as believers should be able to discern truth from error. We test the messages of those who claim to know Jesus by determining what they say about Jesus. Are they getting him correct? It's what stuck out. Beautiful, Jamie. I appreciate that. But he began also with a word that's been floating around, this word, beloved. He took us on a journey back to the scene when John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. And I love this part. As John is raising Jesus out of the water, the thunderous and powerful and magnificent voice of God himself burst through the clouds, And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here he reminds us of the overwhelming truth that we are God's beloved, especially if we are found in Christ. Christ is his beloved son, and for those who trust in Christ, we are God's beloved as well. All that means is just as God loves Jesus, guess what? He loves us as well. We are his beloved. I tell you this, when I was growing up, I wasn't much of a mathematician. I could get it done, but I didn't like math. I liked English and literature and narratives and stuff of that nature. So when I see words like beloved, it automatically dr- takes me to my poetic side. See, when I was a kid, I wrote songs and poetry. My brother and I actually had a group called The Sensational Seven Plus One. Y'all heard of it? That was 30 years ago. Um, but the poetic side kicks in, and I see beloved as this word or this term of endearment which means it's personal. So when God crowns Jesus in that moment as his beloved son, we should be thankful if we are in Christ, because guess what, we in turn are his beloved. We are his expression. We are what looks like love to everyone else. And I love this word beloved because I take this word very personally. Um, It was Ephesians 2 that Paul as well took this this poetic expression to another level when he said in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Greek word for workmanship is this word called poema. Poema meaning to do. This is where we get our English word poem. So watch this. If you are God's beloved, you are actually a walking, poetic expression of God himself. So when people see you, they are reading the poem that God has expressed when he made you. You are poema when you go to work. You are poema at home when you're working with your children. Remember, they're sponges. They're only going to repeat what poem we show them and we've been reciting to them with our lives. We are the poetic expression of a God who calls us his beloved. Man, it makes me feel wanted. It reminds me that even if the world fails me, even if there are times I have trouble at home, even if there times I have trouble at work or whatever the case, there's one person I won't have as much trouble with because he's going to love me whatever I am or whatever condition I'm in because I'm his beloved. You are the beloved poetic expression, poema of God. So be sure when your coworkers see you, they are reading the correct poetic expression of God when he made you. He made you in his image to be an expression of himself. You're his beloved. You need to walk with your head up. You need to walk like you're proud to be a beloved of God. I express God. He's proud of me. I'm his beloved. And so, we, we, as we unpack the scriptures, I want to take us to this continued thought in verse 7, beloved for us. It says, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is critical because it brings us to the first point. Number one, the one born of God will know him and love others. Did y'all catch that? The one who is born of God We'll know him and love others. If you have been birthed by God, automatically you begin this knowing relationship with him. You begin to know him and walk with him. A reminder of Abraham. He walked with God and was so connected that God promised to him that, that, that he would number his descendants as much in the seashore as he would as the stars in the sky. He, he walked also with Enoch. And I love this example because Enoch walked in such a way where we don't find much information on him. But the writing Hebrew says... All he left was a testimony that he pleased God. He was so good at walking, he didn't taste death. God took him on. I don't know about you, I want to be like Enoch. I want to walk so well, I don't want to die. Can I come on with you, Lord? I want to be his walking, poetic, beloved expression of what it means to be born of God what it means to know God. I want people, when I leave this place or leave this church or leave work or when it's my my time to leave this earth, I would love for my testimony to be, that man was a beloved poetic expression of the love of God. That's what we should want. Is it tough work? Absolutely. But the one born of God, the fruit evidence of this is our love for one another. People would know you. Jesus said, they would know my disciples by their fruit. So we need to check our fruit. And that's what it means when we look at this verse. It says, whoever love has been born of God. So let me ask you this, what does it mean to be born of God? By the way, the writer of this gospel of John is the same, that we're teaching our love in 1 John, same writer. Let's look, at first, let's look at John chapter 3, verse 3, uh, and I'll be reading a couple of these verses just to make a point. What does it mean to be born of God? Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Verily truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Good question that Nicodemus is getting ready to ask. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Skipping down to verse 8, he responds by saying, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. For an example, if I were to Take a stack of leaves and just pile them right here and get a leaf blower. If I blew those leaves with the leaf blowers, would not the leaves blow away? Right? They'll blow away from the pressure of the wind. And so it is with us. When the spirit moves, it's like the wind blows. Something happens. Something shifts and moves to the believer who recognizes that something just happened to me. God has come into my heart. Any person in here who has ever had a personal experience with Christ, you noticed something different about yourself. Something shifted, and, and right here in 2 Corinthians 5:17, it says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's what it means to be born again. When something new happens, the believer recognizes this newness. The things we once did, we no longer want to do anymore. Some of the things we used to say, we're not as comfortable saying anymore. Some, some people's response is with tears. Some people sit still. Others, they might take out running around here. But the reality is, for some, there's a reaction to this movement that happens when we become a believer. For many, this experience is instant. But spiritual growth, however, is a process. So what do we do? What happens is the old nature moves out and the new nature moves in. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Kenan uh, reminded us in chapter 3, verse 9, when he was preaching the text, it says that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. What does that mean? So for the person who knows Christ and has been born again, We would say the seed of God is in him, and that seed will produce a certain fruit. That seed is love. The seed of God produces in us a love for one another. Now, listen at this. It's not natural. It is not natural for us to love others. But it is natural, however for us to love ourselves. It's easier for us to love ourselves than it is to love someone else. I think it was Henry David Thoreau who said this quote, there is no remedy for love but to love more. How can you do that? It's powerful of a statement that is, and as easy as it is on the surface to believe that, how can we actually love more? Is love the issue and you're gonna take love and make it the remedy? How how does that work? I'll tell you, it's impossible without the love of God in you. The only way we have a chance at sniffing at loving somebody more, we have to be born of God, and we have to know God. And as a result of that knowing God, then the fruit of love is produced, and as a result, we can love our brother. So you can't, on the surface, think that you can do something without the help of God. with you. Watch this. We are absolutely nothing without him. We can do nothing. I don't care what you've accomplished. I tell you this, everything that you've accomplished, the thoughts you thought of before they got to your mind, he put them there. Don't take the credit. It belongs to him. We have done nothing without him. So all of the things you have done, God bless you, but you better start giving God his credit. There are so many people. There are people who God raises up, and they don't thank God when they get up in the morning, but he still raised them up. We have the privilege of being in a knowing relationship with God, and as a result of the vertical love, we can begin to horizontally love our brothers and sisters. So the seed of God produces this love in us. And John realizes that the Gnostics uh, of their day were spreading what they believed to be some special knowledge. John then reassures the believers that they are in a knowing relationship with God, both cognitively and experientially. And what is this knowledge? Here it is, that God is love. So don't go around believing all of this super spiritual crazy stuff sometimes that people spew. Let's go back to the simplicity of the Word of God. The knowledge is simple. God is love, not me. I can do my best, but hearing David Thoreau helped me realize even in that, it's not good enough. I need God to come alongside me in order to love you the way you deserve to be loved. Amen? Amen. If you're here today or listening by stream, Loving others could be a challenge for you. And I want to say that it's not that you aren't trying hard enough. It may be that the source of love is not in you. The Word says anyone who does not love does not know God. And by the way, non believers can certainly love others, but the motivation of their love is not God. Their motivation is something else, something lesser, and often something self-serving. Why? Because they haven't experienced God loving them first. Look at verse 9. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. I can start right there because Galatians 2.20 tells us, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me. And gave himself for me. You mean to tell him I get to live through him? Even in that, it helps me to suggest I should be careful what I let inside of me. You know why? Because Jesus is in there. I got to be careful of the company I keep. You know why? These entertaining conversations, Jesus is sitting there listening right along with you. You might want to be careful because Jesus is in you, and the Scripture says that we have the privilege of living through him. So let's take advantage of the opportunity to live through the living Christ, the same one that God said, he's my beloved. That's good news. Verse 10 tells us, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, the ultimate demonstration of love is that God sent his only begotten son to the earth to be born of a virgin, to walk in humility through every kind of persecution, and be nailed to a cross on our behalf. Friends, that's love. To allow your body to be beaten and bruised, and to experience the epic embarrassment of the people you tried to help only to be nailed on the cross, even when Jesus, let me back up, felt his own angst where the Bible says he began to sweat with drops that looked like blood, which tells me he felt it in his humanity. But he wasn't just thinking about the people then. He was thinking about us in the future as well. And he thought to himself, you know what? Not my will. Your will be done. And he he decided to be beaten. He decided to be bruised for you and me. Go ahead, nail me. And for the people who were down there cursing and swearing at him and calling him a false prophet and this and that, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Sometimes we get caught doing that. You ever been mad at God and you said something you want to regret? He already forgave you because you didn't know what you was doing. You were just upset. Maybe you had a tantrum, even as an adult or emotional moment, but he yet still loves us. Jesus took the wrath of God that was due us. That's love. He paid the price for our sin. He was the propitiation to satisfy the wrath of God. Habakkuk reminds us, one thirteen. Habakkuk says this way. He says, God's eyes were so pure that he, can't, he couldn't even look on evil. Jesus became an eyesore in such a way that God himself couldn't even look at his own son. He can't be around sin. His eyes are so pure, he can't look at sin. And Jesus took this situation and thought of us more of himself and said, you know, I love them more even even though I got to live with the agony of missing my father in this moment. That's love. Uh, Love is not merely a feeling, brothers and sisters. It's action. Love is a demonstrative action. You can't just tell somebody you love them and don't show them. I can't just tell my wife that I love her and I won't enter the garbage every two or three days. I can't tell my wife that I love her and I don't wash the dishes, and she knows I hate dishes with a passion. And I'm old school, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for the dishwasher. I'd just rather go wash them with my hands. But for me, I'm so slow, it takes me two hours. But because I love, I have to prove that. And I'm not the best planner when it comes to dates. I'm a great husband, so let's not get the wrong idea. <laughs> but she's the most creative in that area, so I'm like, hey, baby, you're empowered. Lead us to the field trips you want us to go to. <laughs> but to prove my love, Vincent knows this, I created a document a year long for every weekend for uh, daddy and mommy dates. And for the kids' dates, we got January through December because I wanted to prove to her, Babe, I love you so much. Let me walk in the empowerment of planning our field trips then. Hey, that's love right there. That's a point. That's a check for me. I'm good. Maybe we will get those other two children that (laughs) glory to God. Oh, she ain't in here. Y'all remind her what I said, okay? (laughs) Because that's love. So, point one. The one born of God will know him and love others. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, verse 13, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. The author never saw God, the father but he did see Jesus, his son. That makes John an authoritative eyewitness, according to verse 14. John testifies to the fact that he has seen Jesus. As a a result of the spirit abiding in us, watch this, the son is seen by the way we love others. No we didn't get to put our physical eyes on Jesus, but when people see us, they should see Jesus' poem by the way we love others. They do still want to see him, you know that, right? So those people watch you every day to get a picture of what God looks like in the 21st century. Now, I know we have our entertainers and people getting on TV, and everybody's saying, you know, I first just want to thank God for this reward. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate God for doing this and that. I love the Lord. I'm a Christian. And they say this stuff on stage, and some of us are scratching our head like, really? That's what God looks like in the 21st century? I'm not trying to put anybody down. But brother, your life, the way you demean women, have you listened to your own lyrics lately? You have the nerve to thank God boldly on stage as if this is what a Christian looks like. You can dress however you want to, but where is your fruit? Don't get my God confused like that. I'm offended. So even for those, we should pray for them. I hope you run into a rapper or you run into an entertainer. You let them see the poem on your life. Maybe something will shift inside of them by what they see in you. Only Jesus most people will ever see is the one they see in you. This is our assurance that we are of God. Now, the church is meant, friends, to be a place where we love one another across racial, socioeconomic, cultural divides, in every kind of difference, and we love each other sacrificially, taking initiative for the sake of others because we've first been loved. Amen. Verse 15 through 18 reveals to us point number two, and that is the one born of God will confess Jesus as his son and have confidence in what he has done. Let me say that again. Point number two, the one born of God will confess Jesus as his son and have confidence in what he has done. Verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him and he in God. Text says, whoever confesses. So, what is confession and what has he done? First, we need to understand that there's a difference between confessing and professing. Confessing is about admitting or acknowledging something that is already true, professing is based upon perception. For an example, I can say that I'm the strongest man in the world, but does that make it true? No. But if I confess Christ, I'm making a confession on something that we know is true. Uh, I was moved with the conversation I had uh, with my son maybe about a month or two ago, Miles, the nine-year-old who's getting ready to turn 10. He wants me to say that. Uh, we were going around communion, and, and he's following me because I'm his dad, right? And sons like to follow their dad. And I turned to look at him, and I was like, so Miles, what are you doing? I'm taking communion. I said, no, son, like, we, we have to wait. We have to talk about this. He was like, Dad, I'm saved. I was like, what, you are? Shame on me. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. He was like, yeah, Dad, I got saved over Grandma's house. My mom is a devout Christian. She loves the Lord in a way that we can all learn from her. Uh, I got saved over Grandma's house. I'm like, well, well okay, my mother, just wait. Let's not take communion this time. Let's talk about this. So we had a chance to talk. We went through Romans and stuff like that. And gosh, my heart burst open when in front of me, he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. My nine-year-old son is aware enough of Christ to make his own personal confession in such a way where it moved me to tears. And I said, yeah, miles from now yeah, you can come with me. And I've been able for the last month and a half or two to have communion with my son who knows God who is born of God, who now has the evidence of love with his cousins over there. They share the gospel with each other. (laughs) They're musicians. They love God. They confess God. They know him. So when y'all see them going around the table, no, they know what they're doing. They're remembering an opportunity that they have to share in the suffering that Jesus had. And now we thank God that beyond his suffering, we have eternal life just as he's got up and gave us that eternal life. So I'm proud of you, Miles. Keep it up, man. Uh, But amen (laughs) We have this love When we confess Christ We are confessing the one thing that is true And that is Christ We confess him as son of God And what he has done And so we have this confidence that abides in us We have confidence in his love We have confidence in who he is We have confidence that he is perfecting us by his love. Because of this, we do not have to live in fear, according to verse 18, which reminds us that perfect love casts out fear. As believers, we are assured that we will not stand in fear on the day of judgment. That day, all fear is gone because perfect love drives out fear. We have this assurance Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have this assurance because of what has been done in us. See, when we're believing this, we're abiding in God. When we're not believing this, we're not abiding in God. So again, point two showed us that the one born of God will confess Jesus as his son. And as a result, we have confidence in what he has done. Point number three, the one born of God cannot hate because he loves God. Remember verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason we have this unnatural, supernatural desire to love is because he first loved us. Let me rewind that. The only reason we have this unnatural Yet, supernatural desire to love is because he first loved us. What did we say earlier? It is unnatural for us to love the way we should, unless God be in us. So, we need his supernatural powers to empower us to love as people, as we said earlier, deserve to be loved. He saw past our greediness. He looked past our nastiness. He looked past our immoral acts. He looked past our pride and arrogance. He looked past our guilt and shame. And what makes this love so divine? Because God is love. He is the true personification of love. Not only love, earlier, what did we say? God is light. God is also love, and he is also our life. God is our everything. Especially if we place ourselves in his hands, we can do like the title of this sermon. We can be assured in his divine love for us. That's great news. In conclusion, I want to take you to verse 21. It says, And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. Not that we should, but that we must. Be assured that God's desire in you to love others is evidence of God's love for you and your salvation in Christ. That's love. He laid down his life for a friend. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you chose us for this hour to hear you God, I pray that your word would have landed as a seed on fertile grounds in somebody's heart, reminding the believers of the knowledge that God is love. And God, maybe there's an unbeliever here who don't know you, but something moved in them. God, I pray that they move on your beckoning call, and they take their chance to put their hands in yours so that they might be born of you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, every heart say amen.